One of the unique uh, characteristics of the Bible, of the Jewish and Christian scriptures, is that um, the Bible tells a lot of stories about people, about people that we would consider examples, holy people, saints. Um, but the thing about the Bible is it, it never holds back from going ahead and portraying them in all of their weakness and all of their human sinfulness. And it's shocking, really. It's shocking uh, to other cultures, other religions, when they look at our holy book and, and they see the way our saints are portrayed. It, it, it is, in some ways, scandalous. And Moses is no different. In all of Scripture, Moses is one of the greatest uh, men who ever lived, one of the greatest portraits in Scripture, second only to Christ. And it's amazing that even Moses is not portrayed as some sort of sinless saint. He is as human as you and I are, and it's in this passage when his humanity really begins to, to come through. Today we're going to talk about the sin of Moses the sin of Moses, and in some ways it changes the way you see the end of his story and maybe changes the way you look at your own life. Numbers chapter 20, let's start right there. Uh, I'll come back to it, but I just want to let you know up front that what you're about to read, this episode is sort of a, a rerun. Uh, Moses has been here before. Back in Exodus chapter 17, Moses was here, pretty much the very same spot, very similar, if not almost exact situation. The thing is, when Moses was here before, it was 40 years ago, and he was there with the previous generation. He was there with the mothers and fathers of, 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 of these people. So understand, it, it's sort of, uh, sort of a flashback, but not really. Moses has been here before, but not with these people. It was with their parents and Interesting how history repeats and does not repeat itself. Numbers chapter 20. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin, camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Miriam was who? Yeah, Moses' sister. So recognize that this whole generation is dying, all right? There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die, along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. So far, so good. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. Now listen. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there. And it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. Did he? Listen. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord and there he demonstrated his own holiness among them. So you get that? After everything he's been through, after everything he's done, after the Lord called him, Moses does not lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He doesn't cross the river. And it has to do with this. Sound harsh? I was at high school graduation yesterday, uh, as, as for some of you, it's that time of year for us. Um, it's just wild. It's, it's so crazy. I was sitting there as South Warren kids were graduating, and, and I was thinking, it's been 30 years since I graduated. 30 years. I heard gasps in the teenage section. 30, 30 years. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't really understand where 30 years goes. And old people used to say that stuff when I was a kid. I think, what is wrong with them? But, but, but 30 years just goes by so quickly. It's, it's, it's amazing. I loved school. I loved all of those years. I don't miss them. I wouldn't go back for a million dollars. But, um, but I love my teachers. I love Ms. Bonds and Ms. Morgan and uh, Mr. Boyd and Mr. Brookshire. And all the way through, I just love my teachers. And, and, and if you ever miss your teachers, you should know that they all live at Cambridge Market now. All of the old Warren County teachers live at Cambridge Market, apparently. This is where they eat. They meet each other. If you go there at any time, day or night, there will be a table of teachers there. I don't understand, uh, but they all live there. It's fun to see them. It really is. But the other day at Cambridge Market, uh, I saw a teacher that I haven't even thought about in 40 years or something. I, I saw her. And, and again, I love teachers. I just love them all. But this lady, I, I just my first thought w was just simply... Is she still alive? Uh, you ever done that? I just, I just saw her and thought, oh my goodness, how old is she? Because you see a lady like that, and she was a very old woman when I was a very young man, and now I'm kind of an older man, and how old is she? How is she not dead? And I don't mean that like I wish she were. I just, she is some sort of miracle of education that she is still walking around Cambridge Market. It's just the strangest thing to see someone like that who, who honestly seems to have just been around forever. Shocking. Same kind of experience watching TV one day, and I saw KC and the Sunshine Band doing a concert. <laughs> Anybody remember KC and the Sunshine Band? But, but, because I, I do, yeah. Oh, my goodness, yeah. My sister really liked KC. Was that his real name? Did he have a name? KC and the Sunshine Band, uh, I, he was, you know, a skinny little guy with long hair, and everybody had long hair, and, uh, and tight jeans, and uh, he's the first guy that taught us to shake our booty, you know that? Shake, 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 shake. Uh, I had to ask my sister what a booty was um, <laughs> back in those days. Have you seen KC lately, though, KC and the Sunshine Band? I mean, he's still out there. That's the amazing part. He's still out there, you understand? And his booty is still shaking. Whether he wants it to shake or not, that's the point. <laughs> I mean, this guy is big. 
Now, back in the day, he was little. He was like a Justin Bieber kind of little bitty guy. But he is this gigantic man now. And, I mean, it is all getting jiggly with it. You understand? He is big. And he is still singing. I mean, he does not have long hair anymore. He doesn't have a lot of hair at all. But he is still really, really trying his best to stay out there and stay with it. And part of me just wants to say, okay, see, and the Sunshine Band, please just go away. Leave us with our fond memories of you. Just, just leave us with that. Please, please, you know, just, just, just go away and don't tarnish these wonderful memories with, with the reality of what you've become. Oh. And it, it kind of makes me wonder how Moses must have seemed in the eyes of this new generation. You understand, by the time we get to Numbers chapter 20, this is a next generation moment. And Moses is literally the oldest man these people could possibly know. He has been around forever. Forever. Now remember, something like 40 years ago, he led their parents and grandparents out of slavery in Egypt. He led their parents and grandparents, and he was an old man then. You with me? He was something like... 80 years old then, seriously, he was an old man then, and he led them somehow out, out of Egypt. But as you know, when, when that generation, when the parents and grandparents got to the promised land that God had promised them that they would see, when they got there, they refused to go in. They sent their spies in. They decided that the land was, was certainly beautiful. It was everything God promised but there were giants there, you remember the story, and they wouldn't go in. They were afraid, and they would not follow God's command, and they would not go into the promised land. So God just simply declared, okay, if that's your choice, you can have your choice. You will never go into the promised land, and he simply let them wander. So they wandered in the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness until every single one of them died. That was the consequence. Every single one of them has to die. And once we've had the very last funeral of anybody who was in that generation, then God says, I'll take the next generation into the promised land. But they had to wait for, for something like a million funerals. And that's what they've done. That whole generation now has died. They're all gone. And there is Moses. He is the oldest man ever. Not really, but to this generation, they've never seen anything like him. He is something like, no kidding, 120 years old. Hanging out at Cambridge Market. Something like 120 years old. What's he doing there? I mean, how is it even possible that a man of the previous generation, a 120-year-old man, how can he lead this generation? That's the real question here. It's, it's sort of a next-generation moment. How is he going to lead these young people? Because honestly, they are so much younger than he is. He cannot possibly understand them. He cannot get them. And honestly, Moses is really not your skinny jeans kind of leader. He, he really doesn't have a lot in common with this generation, yet here he is as their leader. Is there a lesson in that? And I believe there is. Because as a guy who's 
quickly approaching the age of 120, I, I feel like some days, as a guy who's beginning to understand how quickly time goes by, I just begin to think those thoughts about what happens as you get older. Now Moses had, has had a wonderful career, a, a wonderful time of serving the Lord and leading God's people. But I just wonder, how long can that possibly last? Is there not some point where you just really need to step aside and let Joshua have it? Is there not some point when you just recognize that, that, that I'm old, I don't get these kids, these kids don't get me, it's just time for me to go out to pasture. I mean, isn't it time for Moses? Hasn't he earned it? Shouldn't he have a nice condo in Florida by now? R really, really simply, he's still down here because God hasn't taken him up there yet. And if God hasn't taken you up there yet, then he's still got something for you to do down here. Understand? God's called Moses, and God has not let that calling expire. God has not canceled his call upon Moses' life. He has not in any way removed or diminished his gifts. Moses is still the leader, and Moses is still the man. He is still right there to lead this generation, too. It's a next-generation moment for Moses, but honestly, he has everything it takes because that comes from God. That comes from God. Now, the difficulty is when you are that, uh, that previous generation leader trying to lead the next generation, it, it's difficult because as we get older, some things begin to happen which sometimes seem to make it difficult for us to remain faithful to God. You with me? The older we get, we have this tendency to forget what we ought to remember and remember what we ought to forget. I'll say that again. We have this tendency to forget what we ought to remember and remember what we ought to forget. Have you ever talked to the older folks who just simply can't let stuff go? I mean, it, it, there is this idea that the older we get, the sweeter and, and, and more friendly and wonderful and warm and wise we become. But I've known enough old people by now to understand that that is not inevitable. You don't necessarily grow wiser. The only way to grow wiser is to learn something through your life, and some people just don't ever learn anything. They just don't learn. So age and wisdom don't always go together. I'm sorry, it just is not an automatic thing. And it's also not automatic that, that we simply become more like Christ. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in your life every day, every week, every month of your life. It is not inevitable that you just become wiser and more wonderful hate to break the news to you. It's not inevitable. And we have this horrible tendency, some of us, to, to begin to remember things that we really ought to forget. There are folks who carry grudges. There are folks who just carry the garbage of their lives all the way to the grave. And it's sad. It's, it's depressing. It makes them miserable. It makes everybody around them miserable. But they just don't seem to know how to let stuff go. They hang on to the stuff that they ought to let go of, and yet they let go of the things that they ought to hang on to. You ever seen the, the older folks, the older generation that just sort of abandons leadership and just sort of abandons their families and, and abandons their, their, their post in the church? I mean, I, I don't understand that. As I said, God will take you up there when he's finished with you down here. In the meantime, you have work to do down here. But you have, to, you have to make sure that you remember the things that, that, that you tend to forget. And the things we tend to forget are, are often the very things of God. The things that we seem to know when we were younger. The things that we used to teach the kids in Sunday school. The very things we taught our own children. What happens to us? 
Isn't it amazing that that whole generation of people who lived through the Depression, that that generation, the ones who just pinched nickels and dimes, I mean, they could squeeze a penny till, till a booger comes out of Abraham Lincoln's nose, you know what I mean? They can just squeeze a penny like that, and they were so thrifty, where are they now? That whole generation, where are they? They're off at some casino on the river in Indiana. Do you understand that that whole generation, so many of them took up gambling as recreation? I don't understand that. It's as if they've forgotten what they should have remembered. It's the things they taught us. Of all the things you have to remember... You have to remember your purpose. You have to remember what God has called you to do. You have to remember the, the, the sovereignty and beauty of God. And you have to, with your entire life, make sure that you just simply disappear into God's word, number one. You just disappear into God's word. You'll never outgrow it. You will never somehow live past your responsibility to pass this on to your children, to the next generation. You have to disappear into God's word. You have to continue to be very, very faithful to everything God says. You have to obey his commandments. You do not live long enough where somehow you begin to be able to write your own story and live your own way. You, you disappear into God's word and you disappear into God's glory. Do you understand? It's never about your glory days. It's never about people appreciating you. It's never going to be about you getting the recognition that you deserve because you've worked so hard and all I got was this gold watch. Do you understand? It is not about your glory. It is about God's glory. And it is about disappearing into him. God's word, God's glory. This is the purpose of your life from birth until death, from womb until tomb. You disappear into Christ, disappear into his word, you disappear behind his glory. This is why you live. You with me? This is why you live. But it gets hard. And I'm beginning to think it gets harder the older we get. It gets hard to keep um, having a vision of the future because the older we get, the more likely we are to flash back. You understand? We flash back when we ought to be dreaming forward. We continue to somehow hope that we can con continue to do things the way we've always done it. In other words, I, I want to do things the way I've always done it but because, but because that's when I feel like I'm on top of the game. And that's when I feel like that, that, that I'm somehow going to look good if I can always do it in the way that makes me look good. But... But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. This is what Moses learns the hard way in this passage. That with God, this time around is never the last time around. It's never the same. A generation of people who are waiting for the second coming of Vestal Goodman or Sandy Patty, and it's never going to happen. God's always doing a new thing, always drawing us forward into something brand new. And you can never, ever reach the place where you're not going to move forward with God. Because this is what happens to Moses. I, I, I don't know how intentional this is. I don't know if Moses could feel the change happening in his own heart. But, but this is a next generation kind of moment and and Moses fails the test. You understand, this is the place where he becomes disqualified to lead God's people. 
He's disqualified to lead the next generation. And it's not because he's old. It's not because he's old. No, he is old. He's been here before with the parents. They were fresh out of Egypt. And they had gone across the Red Sea. And they had already experienced the falling of the manna from heaven. God was feeding them bread from heaven and, and, and quail at night, meat. It's amazing. But then the people began to complain. This was back in the day. They started complaining because they had bread from heaven, manna falling from heaven, and quail to eat, but they didn't have anything to drink. And they complained about the lack of water. And so God went, God, Moses came to God and said, God, these people are going to stone me. They're going to kill me. There's no water. What do I do? And God gave Moses instructions. He said, you take the staff, the same staff, the rod of God that you used to, to open the Red Sea. You take that staff and you go over to that rock at Mount Sinai and you strike that rock. You take the rod and you strike the rock and I will be standing on that rock, God promised. And he said, I'll make water come out of that rock enough to... Water all of the people and all of their livestock. So 40 years ago. And Moses remembers that, of course. He, he struck that rock with the rod and water just gushed out. It was Niagara Falls in the desert. You understand? Water just gushes out. And it's a glorious miracle, a glorious moment for the people of God. But that was 40 years ago. That was 40 years ago. Now Moses is here with the next generation. All of those people are dead. All of those people are dead. Now it's the children. And it's amazing how much like the parents the children are. Still complaining. We hate this place. They said, why did you ever take us out of Egypt? This place has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, no water to drink, no cell phones, no color TV. Ah! I mean, they just complain, complain, complain. And this is all they've ever known. This generation's never even been to Egypt. They've never eaten a pomegranate. Do you understand? They've just heard about it. They've seen it on the internet, and they want it so bad. Why do you have us out here in the wilderness? What is with you, old man? No water to drink. First, Moses and Aaron do exactly what they ought to do. What do they do? They, they, they turn to God. They fall in their face in God's presence. And seek God's word, seek God's wisdom. So far, so good. And God gives Moses and Aaron very specific instructions. The Lord says, verse 8, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. And as the people watch, do what? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock over there. And it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So very simple command. What is it? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Very simply, speak to the rock. But now by the time Moses comes out, it says verse 9, Moses did as he was told, does he? He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. That's what God said. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come to gather at the rock. That's what God said. And then Moses says, listen, you rebels. Wait, wait. Now Moses is improvising here. God never said, give a speech. God never said, say something to the people. God did not instruct for a sermon to be given. But Moses gave a sermon He's been holding this in for 40 years. 
I have a feeling all of the parts we like best about this sermon have been edited out. He's been wanting to say this for a very long time. These people and their parents and their grandparents have been on his last nerve for 40 years. And so far, Moses has only complained to God. Moses has told God how he feels about the people, but Moses has just never lost it in front of the people. But this is the point. This is the moment when Moses just loses it in front of the people. He comes out and he calls them exactly what he's always wanted to call them, and he tells them exactly what he's always wanted to, to tell them. You bunch of rebels. You ungrateful kids. It's what he says. Do I have to bring water out of this rock? What did he just say? What did he just say? Not the you bunch of rebels part. Not the ungrateful kids part. He said that too. It's the other part. It's the last thing he said when he said, Do I really have to? Must I bring Water from this rock. He takes the rod in his hand and does what? Hits it. Pop. And that felt good. That had to feel good. And you know what? It feels almost like 40 years ago when he was younger. You understand? He was younger. And there was a whole different group of people. And, and that, that's the point where he struck that rock and water gushed out and it was glorious. And so Moses, it felt so good to hit it once, he just hits it twice. Pop! Hits it two times. Pop! Pop! And water gushes out and that had to feel good. Not only did he unload on him everything he'd been thinking for 40 years, not only did, did he get to beat up on the rock a little bit, but at the end of it, the people still got water. That felt good. And then God says, Moses, that's not what I said. Notice how God is still very graciously watering the people. He still gives the water because God is going to care for his people, but he's also going to take care of Moses. Moses, that's not what I said. That's not what I told you to do. I did not tell you to shout at the people. I did not tell you to touch the rock. You have sinned. And because of your sin, you will never see the promised land. You will never go. You will not lead these people. Because of what you have done, you're not going to lead these people into the promised land. Does that sound harsh? I mean, after all that Moses has done for God, you understand? I mean, after all that he has done, he has been so faithful. So faithful. He has suffered and he has sacrificed and he's put up with these people generations now. He's a 120-year-old man. And this has been the, the goal, the calling of his entire life. And now God says, I'm taking that away from you. You're not going to go into the promised land. Is that fair? I mean, I, I recognize that Moses sinned, but, but, but really? 
really. You, you and I, we have a hard time always seeing our sin the way God sees our sin. Let's just be honest about that. We, we tend to see our sin as small. We tend to compare our sin to other people's kinds of sins or the kind of thing that we could have done if we really wanted to, but I only did this, so God, come on, you should give me a break. I, I may be a rotten guy, but I could be much worse. We have this incredible tendency to minimize our sin. But sin is not measured by our standards. It's not about how much worse we could be. It's the very simple fact that, that any sin, large or small, any sin is an affront to a God who is perfect holiness. Our sin is, is measured not by our potential for evil, but by God's incredible purity and holiness. He, he is a holy God who, who cannot, must not, should never have to tolerate any measure of sin. Now, add to this, of course, the fact that Moses is a leader. And the scripture makes plain that, that leaders, teachers, pastors are always to be judged at a higher standard. It, it just goes with it. When you step out in public and you pretend to speak for God, when you step out in public and you lead God's people, you are going to be held at a higher standard. And Moses is one of the most important leaders of God's people ever. There is going to be a higher standard of judgment for him. There is. But also just, just to stop and realize, think about this. Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is the commandment giver. Moses is the one who was on top of that mountain 40 years ago with God face to face. And, and he received the law from God. God wrote it on those stone tablets with his own finger. And Moses was there for that. Moses is the commandment giver. And you cannot have a commandment giver who will not be a commandment keeper. Did you understand? This is the man who represents the law. This is the one who stood and said, I, I set before you a choice of life and death. You've got to choose life. I mean, Moses said that. Moses brought God's word from God's own mouth. Do you understand this? And Moses is the one who said, you've got to promise to obey. And this is a situation where Moses does not obey. You cannot have that. You cannot have a commandment giver who doesn't know how to follow a command. And Moses, at this point, goes off somehow, off track on his own way. He does not follow God's word. And do you understand? It's not just the past generation. It's this generation, too. It was never about water. The fact that they're thirsty, the fact that they're asking for water, it was never about water. Water is not their deepest need. Their deepest need is to trust in God's word. Their deepest need is to know God's glory and to put their confidence in what God says. And suddenly Moses is one who's going to take God's glory. What does Moses say to the people? Must I bring water from this rock? Are you kidding me? Moses said that? Must I bring water from this rock? Moses isn't doing anything. Except at that moment trying to steal the glory that belongs to God. Moses can't bring water out of nothing. But in that moment, he, he, he tries to steal from the glory that belongs to God. And remember what the scripture says. It says, I am God. I will give my glory to none other. I will share my glory with none other. Moses doesn't get to do that. He doesn't get to put himself in front of God's glory before the people. 
Remember, he's supposed to disappear into God's glory. He's supposed to disappear into God's word. But Moses isn't doing that anymore. So God says, Moses, step aside. It's time for you to step aside. It's not because he's old. It's because he stopped following God. You can't lead the people to follow God if you've stopped following God. Now turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Very, very last chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1. Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of the Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. Can you imagine that regret? Can, can you imagine? On your dying day, the last thing you see is, is, is the land that you had spent your whole life trying to get to. And now God says, you can see it, but you're not going to walk into it. God, help me, I don't ever want to die that way. Man, I don't ever want to die that way. I mean, six inches from everything you always wanted, six inches from everything God had promised. And understand, Moses is never going never gonna to cross that river, and it's because of his sin. Man, I don't want to die like that. So Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day no one knows the exact place. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was strong as ever. People of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Verse 10, there's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and the entire land with mighty power. Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. But he died this side of the promised land. Is that a harsh punishment? Yeah. It's amazing when you look at what God took away from him. But it doesn't end there. You know this, right? You understand. The, the grave is not the end. 
You know this, right? So let's start at the grave and go forward. First off the grave, verse 6. I just can't believe we get over this. Moses died up there all by himself. Remember, it's just him and God again on the mountain, and he sees all the promised land, and then he dies. And, and there's a very, very private burial. A very private burial. One person attends Moses' funeral. Who is it? God himself. And God himself buries him. I don't even know what to make of that. God buries him. Then you got to flash forward. you got to flash forward a lot of years. A lot of years. Stories told in the New Testament where there was a day when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. Remember that? And Peter, James, and John went up the mountain with Jesus. And the scripture says that in, in, in this moment, there is this incredible flash of, of light and, and glory. And, and Jesus was transfigured. That's the word we use. He was transfigured on that mountain. He was changed so that Peter, James, and John were looking at him with the glory that, that is his as God. He, he was shining with the glory that belongs to God. He was transfigured. And Peter, James, and John are seeing that. But, but don't, don't miss a little detail there. Um, on the day when Jesus stands on that mountain and, and shines with the glory of God, somebody is with him. You remember? Peter, James, and John, yeah, they're with him, but, but, but also there are actually two others. Who's with Jesus? Elijah and Moses. Moses was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, which don't ever forget was smack dab in the middle of the promised land. Did Moses get to cross the river and go into the land with the people? No, no, he did not do that. Did he get to visit the Holy Land? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got to go. He went with Jesus. He, he stood on the mountain with Jesus himself as he shined in his glory. Moses stood in the Holy Land. See, here's the thing. God is just so good. I mean, our sin is real, and our sin has consequences, and God uh, judges sin. He certainly does, and there are consequences for what we do, absolutely. But the Scripture says that, that while God's anger endures for a day, his favor endures for life. His anger, it lasts just a moment, but, but his favor, his grace, his forgiveness, it just has no limit. It just goes on and on and on, and I just thank God that he does not deal with me as my sins deserve. I mean, Moses' sin had real consequences. You, you cannot escape that. But, but please, as you look at Moses' life, don't just get to the end and say, well, would you look at what God took away? Just look at what God took away. No. no. I mean, you, go ahead if you want. Look at what God took away, but look at what God gave. And even after his sin, God himself buried him. God himself, Christ, shining in glory, escorted him into the promised land. You just got to look at what God gives. Because whatever God takes away, his, his hand to give is much greater. In, in, in much greater measure, he gives. He loves, he forgives. 
So just in, in your own life, you've got to just remember that, that, that there's more to this life than just this life. And when you get to the end of Moses' life, it's just not the end. God's not finished blessing and giving to him. And yes, in that last moment, he doesn't really achieve the goal of his entire life, but, but the point is his life doesn't end there, and God still allows him to, to shine in glory and, and see the living Christ and to step foot on that holy mountain. I mean, God just continues to bless even after the grave. So we have this tendency in our life to look at how things turn out, and things often turn out pretty sour. I, I mean, honestly, most of us are going to die with regrets and disappointments and failures, but, but do you understand? This life isn't the end of it. God has more, always more for those who love them. Eye has not seen and, and ear has never heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Man, and the grave is not the end. That, that, that's the point. What comes after the grave is just simply glory. Don't you ever forget that. And as you sometimes want to swell up and blame God for all he's taken away from you, please, please, as you look at what God has taken away, don't ever forget to add back in everything he gives. I promise you at the end of the day, he's given you more than he'll ever take. God is a giver. But also don't you forget that he's a holy God. He is a God who is in the place to command your life. And as long as you have breath, you must obey him. In whatever way in this present moment, you're not listening to him. And whatever way you're just simply trying to relive your own glory days and you've stopped seeking God's glory, and whatever way you've stopped disappearing into God's word and somehow living your life following some other plan, I just want to remind you that this is a God who does not have to endure your sinfulness and rebellion. There are consequences for your sin. Real consequences. But if you will continue to love him and serve him and seek him, there are blessings. Blessings you cannot imagine. Blessings that you cannot possibly, possibly miss. I don't know how this life's going to turn out for you, me either. But I know that there's more after this life. And what God has planned for me and you is going to be glorious. It's glorious. Pray with me. God, all of us, we have a tendency to forget what we ought to remember. Bring us back to remembering today, Lord, on this Memorial Day weekend. Make us to remember your goodness and your glory. Make us to remember, Lord, your power and your sovereignty. Make us to remember, Lord, that our purpose in life before you is simply to listen and obey every word that comes out of your mouth, every word. Help us, Lord, in our most discouraging moments, in the times when regret 
in, in the times, Lord, when the consequences of our choices begin to pile up around us, Lord, help us to remember that you are a God whose anger lasts for a moment, but whose favor endures for life. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you would bring souls back to you, Lord, in this house, in the sound of my voice, those, Lord, who have turned away from you, who have stopped obeying, stopped listening, stopped following. I pray, Lord, before it is too late for them that they will come back to you. Lord, I pray for those in this house who feel that you've taken away from their lives or that somehow you are to blame for their trouble and you are the one, Lord, that is to blame for their misery and their regret. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would stop simply looking at what is missing but begin to see what you have added to their life day after day after day and for all eternity, Lord. You add glory to our lives. Help us, Lord, to disappear into that glory. Help us, Lord, never to stop following you, never to stop obeying you, never to stop seeking after you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.